Good evening, everyone. It is good to be together and welcome. Uh, it'd be great to keep your Bible open uh, as we look at this passage. Uh, if you're one of the young'uns and you've got a, a clipboard, uh, that sort of gives you a little bit of a guided tour through the passage and the sermon. Uh, if you've completed it already, uh, then you just have to listen to the sermon, undistracted. Uh, uh, for others, you might choose to take notes if that's helpful uh, as you reflect on this passage. But let me pray uh, that God might speak to us. Uh, dear Lord, we do thank you uh, for the pleasure and the privilege of coming together uh, to uh, sing your praises, to hear from your word. And so, Lord, I pray that you are with us tonight uh, through your spirit, uh, that I might speak faithfully uh, and that you might help each of us understand how we apply this to ourselves and to our lives. Amen. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you. Uh, it's not your typical uh, pithy, uh, inspirational quote that you'd sort of find on you know, your cafe uh, chalkboard or your, your Facebook meme. Uh, but uh, if you're a Christian uh, living in the world, uh, trying to stand up for Christ, uh, then for me, I find that pretty inspiring. Uh, I'm not really into the feel-good quotes. Uh, I know lots, lots of people lo love them, you know, a bit of feel-good Facebook. Uh, I'm kind of, you know, life can be tough, so stand firm and, you know, dig in. Uh, that's the kind of quote that inspires me. And that's sort of this, you know, sort of uh, these words uh, in Scripture tonight. You know, they carry a sense of determination and urgency, uh, but also a solidarity. Uh, as Christians, you know, we're not called to sort of charge into the world alone. Uh, God is with us uh, and God gives us his people. Uh, and so we see these words being fulfilled uh, tonight uh, as we read this passage. Uh, so if you've been following this series with us, uh, if you've been travelling with us through the book of Acts, then you'll know right back at the beginning... Uh, Jesus uh, speaks to his disciples before he ascends to the Father and he says, and you know it well if you've been with us, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And most recently we've been seeing how God is fulfilling those words uh, through the ministry of Paul. And so Paul's uh, travelled, we've got a map here, he's been travelling from Jerusalem, he headed north and then west up to a place called Philippi where he got thrown in prison. Uh, but that all kind of worked out because uh, he met a jailer and uh, the jailer and his whole household uh, were saved and, and came to Christ. Uh, after that, uh, he headed south to Athens uh, where he stood up and debated uh, with the philosophers of the city uh, and again uh, pointing them to the unknown God uh, and telling them about who Jesus is uh, and the resurrection of Jesus. And so now we've reached a city called Corinth. Uh, and Corinth at this stage uh, is a major Roman city. Uh, so it used to be a Greek city, then it got destroyed, that kind of happens. Uh, Julius Caesar then rebuilt it. Uh, and by the time Paul gets there, it's a city of about 200,000 people. Okay, so it's a big city, and that's partly because it was on a trade route, uh, a shipping trade route. Uh, it was also uh, one of the centres uh, of the Greek god Aphrodite. 
Uh, so Aphrodite was the goddess of love and passion and sex. So you can imagine uh, what their temple worship was kind of like. Uh, so uh, Corinth, <laughs> Sharon's there, uh, Corinth uh, was known really for two things. Uh, it was known for its prosperity uh, and it was known for its sexual immorality. And when we re- if you read the, the book of 1 Corinthians, you see that it's a bit of a theme as you work through it. Uh, And we know how Paul was feeling uh, when he arrived in Corinth uh, because he tells us in his letter to them. He says, I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. Uh, It's kind of comforting uh, for me uh, to know that someone like Paul, uh, with everything he has experienced, uh, feels fear and trembling. You know, as we stand up in the world, uh, often, uh, I think, uh, that's how we feel. You know, we, we want to tell our friends about Jesus. We want to stand up for Christ. Uh, but at the same time, uh, we don't want to be ridiculed. Uh, we don't want to lose their respect. Uh, we don't want you know, relationships to get awkward. Uh, perhaps if we're even more honest with ourselves, uh, you might feel fearful about how a conversation will impact your own faith. Uh, So you're worried about how their questions and arguments and perhaps counter-arguments will end up feeling so compelling and so confronting that in fact it'll leave you with the faith faith crisis rather than challenging them. Uh, But if the gospel is true, uh, then we have nothing to fear. We might not have all the answers. We might not be able to answer their questions. But if the Holy Spirit is in us, uh, then we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. And the gospel will stand up to the world's questions and to the world's scrutiny. Because that's where we've put our trust, not just in an unseen God, but also in the facts and the history of the resurrection. But it is good to know, uh, as we seek to stand up in the world, uh, that we're not alone in our fears. Uh, What we experience is not unique. Uh, I often think of Paul's missionary journeys as a bit of a a solo experience. It's just Paul and he's out there with his his bag walking down the street telling people about Jesus, going from city to city, occasionally getting beaten up, thrown out, and then off he goes to the next one. Uh, But each step of the way we see that Paul is sometimes alone. Uh, But more often than not, we see him with people. He's surrounded by brothers and sisters in Christ. And so in in Corinth, uh, our passage tonight started with him meeting Priscilla and Aquila. And then a little bit later on, he's joined by Silas and Timothy. And perhaps there are others who aren't even mentioned. uh, But these are the the sort of main uh, characters of the passage. And I think sometimes we underestimate the importance of uh, knowing that people are with us and for us. And and equally, uh, that our words of encouragement uh, are powerful to build up others. Uh, When I was uh, younger, I used to teach uh, scripture at Punchbowl Boys High School, uh, never a more appropriate name for a school. Uh, And I remember that the first time I walked into this school, uh, I was so worried um, that I parked my motorbike around the corner uh, because I was afraid that if once they worked out I was the scripture teacher, that someone would come and kick it over. Uh, So that was kind of my state of mind going in day one. Uh, And I went in with it with a guy by the name of James Fong, uh, who is the most 
most Aussie Chinese bloke you've ever met. Um, uh, and uh, we went into this school uh, for, you know, give or take six years together uh, each week, uh, talking to students about Jesus. And it was predominantly a Muslim school. So every now and again, we'd stand in the corridor and just have these great conversations, you know, sometimes with the Islander kids, but sometimes with the Muslim kids uh, who just wanted to talk about Jesus. Uh, and, it was, and it was wonderful. But particularly in those early days as we were going in, uh, you know, a lot of my courage came from James's courage. Uh, and I think equally, uh, he probably got some courage from me. Uh, but, you know, we were in it together. You know, as we think about our circumstance, you know, as we live together in Shell Harbour, you know, God has gathered us together as a church. And we might have all sorts of different opinions about, you know, church life. Uh, but fundamentally, uh, when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to talking about Jesus and standing up for Jesus, uh, then we need to be absolutely clear that we are standing together. Uh, and we need to affirm that to one another a lot. Uh, we need to be reminded ourselves and we need to remind others because standing up in the world is tough. Uh, but it's even tougher uh, if you're not sure if your brothers and sisters in Christ have your back. And so we need to keep reminding each other that we are for one another. Uh, in the words of Ecclesiastes, two are better than one because they have good return for their labour. And a bit later on, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Now, that's how we should stand together as a church. Uh, the second thing we see in this passage in the context of Better Together is how they arrange their finances. How do they financially support everything that they're doing? Uh, and so when Paul first arrives, uh, he's a tent maker and, and Priscilla and Aquila, they're tent makers as well. And so they would work during the week uh, and they would spend their time on the Sabbath, on the Saturday, uh, in the synagogue, uh, teaching people uh, what the scriptures have to say about the Messiah. Uh, but then uh, something changes because Silas and Timothy come along. And so Paul devotes himself, so verse 5, exclusively to preaching testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. Uh, so we don't know whether Silas and Timothy um, you know, bought financial resources with them or if they worked so Paul could spend his time uh, preaching and teaching. Uh, but the idea is that they collectively you know, shared their resources so that they could have the greatest impact they could for the gospel in this city. And, and Paul is very clear in his letter to the Corinthians that he did not take money from the Corinthian church. So he says, I have a right to do that, but I will not do it because I don't want anything to hinder our message. I don't want you to think that I'm speaking for any other motive, that I want you to know Jesus and to be saved. And so if we think about our context, well, how, how do we arrange ourselves? Uh, in one sense, uh, every Christian in this room is, is a tent maker. Uh, so you spent you know, a good portion of your time during the week uh, earning a living uh, for those who are in that stage of life. Uh, and you spend the, the discretionary time that you've got left going, well, how do I serve God with what God has given me? Uh, for us as a church, uh, we choose to have a minister. You, we choose for me to work full-time in ministry. We choose to have Pete. We choose to have Amanda. And part of that is just the practical reality of life, isn't it? That there's only so many hours in a day. And so by setting people aside, it increases our net capacity. 
that we can do more if more people have more time. And so for me, it's more time to preach and to teach and to lead and to support our community together. So as we think about this sort of passage, if you're a worker, uh, don't feel bad that you can't do everything. Uh, But do ask yourself the question, well, how can I use what I've got? How can I use my time and my resources and my gifts to honour God with my life? And of course, we've got to be careful not to use our work as an excuse, don't we, to justify why we don't serve God. That would be the negative version. But how do we use what we've got in God's service? And if we're not quite sure how to do that or or to be clear about that, then then we really do need to spend more time in God's Word, don't we? Uh, Because the more time we spend in God's Word, the more we pray, the more we ask for the Spirit to show us, uh, the more we align our purpose with God's purpose. Uh, So if we spend all of our time, you know, focusing on what the world values, then sure enough, uh, that's where we go. Uh, We spend time looking at what God values, well, sure enough, uh, that's where we will go. So to get to the actual ministry that Paul's doing, uh, where does he start? Uh, Where he always starts? Uh, In the local synagogue. So verse 4, every Sabbath you reason in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Verse 5, a little bit further down, uh, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. So for the average Jewish person listening to Paul, uh, they've really got two questions. Was Jesus the actual Messiah that was promised in the Old Testament? They've heard a lot about this Messiah. Is Jesus really the one? Uh, And then secondly, and kind of related, uh, did Jesus really rise from the dead? And so Paul brings those two questions together by convincing them from the Scriptures why Jesus had to suffer and die and rise again. Uh, We don't really know what passages he chose uh, you know, to build this case, but Isaiah 53.11 would be a good one. Uh, after he had suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By knowledge of him, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Uh, or Psalm 49, uh, but God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. He will surely take me to himself. And so as he reasons with the, the synagogue, uh, he points them to the scriptures. And of course, there's two very typical reactions. You know, some people hear the gospel and believe. And of course, others are outraged. Uh, and so finally, Paul becomes so frustrated with what's going on in the synagogue that when they opposed Paul, this is verse 6, and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent of it. From now, I will go to the Gentiles. I think Paul's uh, reaction for me is, is a, a little confronting. You, know, you read those words and you think, you know, surely when it comes to something so important as being saved, you know, the mantra should be, you know, never give up, never surrender. You know, God perseveres with us. We should persevere with others. You know, no matter how hard the road is, we should just keep on going. Uh, That's what I feel we should do at times. Uh, I think uh, some of the words of Jesus, uh, he told a parable uh, about persevering that I think is helpful. Uh, It's from Luke 13, uh, verses 6 to 8. He says, A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard. 
And he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why would it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Now, God is patient. God does persevere. Uh, But his patience isn't infinite. Yeah, in some respects, it would just be easier if God gave us some rules, didn't it? In this situation, you persevere. In this situation, pass. Uh, but life's you know, usually not that convenient. I think at least on the personal side, uh, we can always pray. Uh, we can always be a godly example. Uh, we can always be prepared to give an account for the hope that we have. Uh, those things don't need to change. Uh, but there might come a point where we no longer try to start gospel conversations and talk about Jesus because it always ends with them getting angry. Uh, Or we might stop inviting them to church because every time we do ask, they say no. Uh, And we pray that in a different season, things might change. But in the present, there may well be a time to say that I will spend my efforts and my time sharing the gospel with someone else. Uh, And that's a tough decision to make. I think on a a church level, uh, we do need to ask ourselves, is this ministry, whatever we're doing, is this actually having the Jesus impact we want it to have? Is this really making a difference? Is this helping people love Jesus? Is it helping us grow together? Is it helping us speak the good news of Jesus into our community? Is it helping us support others? Uh, If we get to a point where we can't see that happening, then either something needs to change uh, or we need to choose to do something different. I think sometimes we can feel that it's actually ungodly to stop doing something. And that might be true, uh, but it's not necessarily true. uh, That there are times and there are seasons and sometimes we need to stop doing something that we're praying would be Uh, successful and have an impact and try something different. Uh, In this situation, Paul chooses to pass. So they refuse to listen and so he says, that's it. Uh, I'm leaving. Uh, I'm going next door uh, to the home of Titius Justus uh, and he's joined by Crispus, uh, the synagogue leader. Now, you can imagine just how outrageous this whole situation is if you're a member of that local synagogue. Okay, this Paul is coming like a snake. He's slithered in and he's sort of, you know, told this story about this Messiah and he's just deceived everyone. Uh, He's even deceived Crispus, the synagogue leader. You know, it'd be a little bit like me standing up and becoming a JW, a Jehovah's Witness and taking half of our church with me. Imagine that. Imagine how you would feel in that situation. You know, there'd be a sense of betrayal, grief, rage. Yeah, it'd be pretty confronting, wouldn't it? So you can imagine how that synagogue is feeling uh, about Paul. Uh, But for those Jewish people and the Greek people in that synagogue, uh, they don't see themselves as turning their back on their faith at all. In fact, completely the opposite. You know, as Jewish people, 
uh, who are faithful to the scriptures, they've been waiting for a Messiah. And now those scriptures are being fulfilled and those scriptures are calling them to follow Jesus and to submit to his lordship. So they don't see themselves, they're not turning their back on their faith. Uh, They're actually following their faith to its natural end. And so as Paul leaves the synagogue, you can imagine uh, the mixed feelings he's got. You know, there's a sense of frustration and anger. He's got, he's got these words of life, but they refuse to listen. Uh, at the same time, he's in, perhaps encouraged and emboldened uh, to see that you know, not everyone is hard to the gospel. You know, the Holy Spirit really is working. People are hearing the good news about Jesus. They're coming to Christ. And you can imagine he's feeling pretty vulnerable because you know, history uh, is looking like the future is going to be pretty bleak. Because so far, you know, he's in Philippi, he ended up in prison. Uh, in Thessalonica, there was a riot. Uh, in Berea, uh, the, the crowds were stirred up against him. So if the past is anything to go by, he can see the imminent future, and it's not looking bright. And then God, in his mercy and compassion, gives Paul this vision. He gives a timely word of encouragement. So verse 9. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. God is saying there are people in this city who need to hear about my son. Uh, There are people in this city Uh, who need to grow in their faith and maturity. Uh, There are people in this city who will stand with you and who are for you. And so God is promising Paul, I'm here and I will protect you. And we see that being fulfilled in the very next verse. So verse 12, while Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man they charged is persuading the people to worship God in a way contrary to the law. And you can imagine they're just warming up. Okay, they've got their whole case to bring before the proconsul. And really, before they even get started, he kind of you know, stops it right there and then. I will not be a judge of such things. Uh, Gallio was a respected uh, leader, a respected proconsul. And so his decision not to persecute and to prosecute Paul uh, was significant for Corinth, but was actually significant for Christians in the Roman Empire. And so the rules of the game were that if you were of any religion, uh, it had to be endorsed by the Romans. And if it wasn't endorsed, uh, then you you were fair game to be prosecuted, thrown into prison, hung up, eaten by a lion, all that kind of stuff. Uh, So when, when Gallio stands up and says, I'm not drawing a distinction between the Jewish faith and the Christian faith, uh, this is all about your scriptures, uh, then he actually provides a level of protection uh, for Paul and for his ministry. It uh, doesn't necessarily protect him against those people who hate him, but it certainly offers protection from the state. As God's people, uh, we know that God does not always promise to keep us from harm. Uh, Certainly, that wasn't always Paul's experience, was it? But in this particular context, in this particular place, God protected him for that time and for that ministry. 
Uh, certainly as Christians, we can be confident that God won't forsake us. Uh, we can be confident that our salvation is secure. We can be confident that our eternal hope is secure. But we can't be confident uh, that life will be easy. Uh, and for many Christians around the world, it's not just to be verbally persecuted, is it? You know, it's to be literally physically persecuted. It's to, be, it's to lose your job. It's to be imprisoned. It's to be killed. So God doesn't always promise that life will be easy or safe. But God is with us. And God has many people in Shell Harbour. Uh, we don't know who they are. That really would be very, very convenient. Because uh, then we just know exactly who to talk up to and it'd be incredibly efficient. Uh, we don't know that, do we? Uh, but uh, we know uh, that God's word does not return empty. Uh, and so uh, we stand up boldly. Uh, we take courage. Uh, and we talk to those people around us. We talk to our neighbours. We talk to our friends. We talk to our family and our colleagues. And we keep talking about Jesus. And we talk about it in a way that's relevant for their world, that's, that's contextual. Uh, but the fundamental message doesn't change. That every single one of us needs to be saved. God created us. God allowed his son Jesus to die for us on the cross and we can have life. That's the message. It doesn't change. And so the word from this particular passage is, you know, we're so tempted to be fearful, to live lives of fear, fear of persecution, fear of change, fear of people's reaction. All of those things can paralyze us. But as Christians, we're called to have courage. So do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. Amen.